Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Where to hunt podcast? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Man, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bow Hunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts, a.k.a. the OKS podcast in the Midwest. I'm Eric Clark. Greg Tubbs here. And uh, this is, well, I don't even know why I bother. I think it's episode 135, and today is June 9th, 2020. We are rocking and rolling here in the OKest Hunter podcast studio. Studio, studio, studio. We got that sweatshirt back there that people can't see because we got uh, Teddy Bear Greg here. But eventually we'll get like a sign, you know, so you can see it. But that's it for now. It's kind of cool. I got to put my bow up there or something. What do you think? You got to put something up there. I, I know. You need to go kill something this fall to put up there. I'm working on it. All right. Uh, Greg, how are you this week? It's Tuesday. It feels like freaking Friday. It doesn't feel like Friday, that's for sure. It feels like uh, Monday. Yeah. It's not like that for me. I got a lot to do. You got a lot to do. I got a lot done. I got a lot to do. You got a nice shirt on, nice hat. Looks like you're rocking some Venado gear. Yeah. I like it. Step outside. Yeah, something different. That, are those fighting words? Is that what you're trying to do? Hey, <laughs> you interpret it however you want. <laughs> I'm just joking around. Totally up to you. I like it a lot. It's great. <laughs> I like their I like their stuff quite a bit. I usually have their stuff hanging up in here too. Uh, look, folks, today on the show, we're going to be uh, discussing elk hunting and elk hunting uh, tactics and tips. But before we get into that, we want to do our sponsorship call-outs. And uh, see, I have to look at this fancy piece of paper because I will literally forget every week. But we'll start with Gumleaf USA. We've been talking about Gumleaf USA for a long time. Their boots, yes, they are expensive. However, they uh, will last quite a bit longer than any traditional big box plastic boot. Um, There are others that will match their quality, but their price tag will go up too. So if you want to save money on Gumleaf boots, they're 85% natural rubber, Byram sole, handmade out of where england boom type in code w2h2020 and get 10 percent off also uh because this is the okest hunter podcast studio you can head on over to okesthunter.com enter in code w2h podcast and you can also save 10 percent. i'm wearing the never pass shirt which i like never pass on the experience or the memories or the shooter buck that you want to tag awesome and I love it when you do the Vector Custom Shop one. So I just need to learn from you. You need to learn from me? Mm-hmm. I don't know about that. That's where that. you shine, my friend. Okay. 
So if you're looking for custom built arrows to your specs, head on over to vectorcustomshop.com. Um, they pretty much will build you an arrow to your spec. So if you prefer to shoot a heavier arrow or a lighter arrow, completely up to you. They'll build it the way you want it. Um, you can select from a two, two arrow test pack to kind of test them out and feel the waters, see what feels best to you, what shoots best out of your bow. You can go with a half dozen or a dozen. Um, they're weighted up front with the ethics insert system. Um, high quality arrow, in my opinion. Uh, head on over to vectorcustomshop.com, check it all out. And if you want to save some money, enter code where the word where number two hunt that'll give you 10 percent off all about the 10 percent here yeah that's right when are we going to step it up to like 12 percent? we gotta get someone exclusive i guess i'm gonna get a big hitter wake up and smell the coffee backwoods grind coffee that is now this ain't your fancy schmancy city boy coffee this is what your grandpappy used to drink and lucky enough for you loaf around slack asses, they got a subscription service. Deliver any other six blends right to your door, even a sampler. I like the fireside blend, nice and dark, but they got something to suit every one of your tastes, light to dark and everything in between. Backwoods Grind Coffee, for those who work hard and play harder. Speaking of 10%, enter in code W2H podcast and you'll get 10% off a of backwards grind. Now that could be a single purchase or your monthly subscription. Either way, make sure you head on over to backwardsgrind.com, enter in code W2H podcast at your point of purchase and save that 10%. All right, we want to go ahead and welcome our guest to the show. Even though he shared his last name and spelling with me, there's a great chance I'm going to mess it up anyways, but it's Joe Gilia with Elk Bros. Oh. You nailed it, man. Look at that. Knocked it out of the park. About time. It's only taken me like seven years. <laughs> Joe, how are you doing, man? We're, we, it's been a while. We stayed in touch, and look at us. Yeah. You're back for round two. I can't believe you like us that much. <laughs> Absolutely like you do. Uh, it's been what? Uh, you're kind of like... Uh, you, you used me for one time, and you didn't call till a year later. What's up with that, Eric? <laughs> you know, we just we just pack it full of guests. We're booked till September on guests right now. Isn't that crazy? That's never, awesome. It never used to be That's like that cool. until you showed up on the show, and then everyone started listening. I was like, wow. So now now after you came on, then everyone else started knocking <laughs> on our door. It's your own fault. <laughs> well, and in fact, we might Not have to... Not too bad for the latest podcast ever. <laughs> no, we might have to double up in a couple of weeks, too, to get a few other people in that... We've been trying to get on and have had to reschedule, so you might be looking at some overtime weeks here. Yeah, we've done we've done uh, two podcasts a, a week sometimes. Have. It yeah. is, it is. And and uh, just real quick, because we don't want to wait till the end for you to plug uh, what you have going on. Why don't you share that at the beginning, front loaded, and tell folks who you are, who you're with, and how they can find you, and then we'll roll into the topic from there. Um, name's Joe Gillia, and uh, I'm with Elk Bros. Elk Bros uh, is a, um, it, we have our own website, elkbros.com, and we produce a few things. Uh, we have the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Uh, we also have our own YouTube channel, and we are fixing to, we're hoping that we debut here um, in July, 
uh, coming out with our uh, one of our training camps from our Blue Collar Elk Academy, which is an online training course. And, uh, you know, I'm an elk hunting coach. I am a retired 34-year coach and 30-year teacher, and coaching is what I do. Elk hunting is what I do. I'm, I'm also a professional elk guide, and I have been bow hunting elk myself for Gosh, it's my 39th season this year. So um, you you put those two together, you put that package, and you've got um, you've got elk bros, and it consists of more than myself. There's my brother-in-law Leroy Chavez, who has been my lifelong elk hunting partner, uh, following in my footsteps, following right behind me. He's about 10 years my senior, and uh, he has been with me all of those years, and. Um, even though he's my brother-in-law, we're married to sisters. He's he's really my brother, man. More than more than any blood I've ever had. This guy and I have been through so much. And so we have Leroy, um, another one of my best friends, Gilbert Ornelas out of um, Spring, Texas, and then we have our Venezuela Mafia, <laughs> we refer to, which uh, is. Uh, that's Luis Gonzalez and Manano Graceron, and yes, they are both from Venezuela. Um, as far as the mafia part, I would tell you more, but I'd probably have to kill you. So yeah, let's not go down that path. All part of the being in the mafia. <laughs> oh, sh- Nikes! Holy cow! That's, anyway, and your and your accent was was thick. You really rolled that off the tongue nicely. Oh, thanks, man. Well, you know, um, live in northern New Mexico. Um, I, I went to college here in northern New Mexico. My wife is Hispanic. Um, my entire family that surrounds me is as well. So um, I pick up a little dialingo. I like it. I like <laughs> it. My wife, Holly, used to be able to speak Spanish incredibly well. In fact, she understands the Spanish language better than I understand the English language. And if you don't use it, you lose it. She's, she's really uh, faded quite a bit. She's actually a Spanish teacher uh, for some time, and she misses the language quite a bit, I think. Yeah, no, it's a it's a beautiful language, um, beautiful people here in New Mexico. I just give you a hint, man, so you don't sound like a, a tourist when you come here. When you come, you're going to have to have, you're going to order something, and they're going to ask you red or green, and they're referring to the type of chili you want on your food. Green. And I'm going to tell you, here's the secret. No, don't say green. Damn don't it. say red. You want to sound like you're from here? Tell them Christmas. All right? <laughs> you're good. A little <laughs> bit of both. I love that. That's a good tip. That's going to stick with me forever. Okay. Yeah. There you go, man. That's great. So you've been hunting elk for 39 years. You Last time we talked, how many have you tagged out of those 39 years? So um, I some of those were not drawn years and... Um, and some that I've done some other things, but, uh, 34 out of the 36 years that I've hunted. Wow. I mean, you know that this is a bucket list hunt for me, I think for Greg too. And you've been doing it for 39 years, 34 tags filled. Your freezer's got to be jam packed full of meat, but what a beautiful thing. You know, it's more packed now, Eric, that the daughters are grown and, uh, and married and out, but. I mean, we eat, that's pretty much what we eat. We eat elk and, uh, 
you know, it, some people subsidize their regular food with wild game. We subsidize our wild game with regular food. So we eat a lot of elk, and that was one of the things, one of the goals, one of my driving things was it was very important for me to harvest an elk every year. So what's interesting about that number is that I never kept count. I, that wasn't something that um, – I was too concerned about it. It was just something that was part of what I was doing, what I was supposed to do until I, I guess there was a bunch of my hunting buddies one time said, Joe, do you realize you killed 16 elk in the last 16 years? Uh, and I was like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I, all, all that time I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I didn't know it was anything impressive, but um, it, I tell you, it's been, it's been, been a great haul it's been a lot of incredible memories you know i talk about the fact that i've filled those tags but what i have filled up inside my soul what i have garnered as far as friends uh the people that i run with that i would go through hell with a water pistol with um some of the um most incredible things have happened uh, have happened with people that uh, I'm associated with through elk hunting. So uh, it's it's been it's been incredible. It's been something that's really shaped my life. That's cool. That's that's how it should be. And I'm glad that that's your perspective looking back. That there's an appreciation for it. And you're look, no offense, but you're getting up there, right? And uh, you got to be pretty <laughs> healthy being able to trek through some of the terrain that you go to to drag elk out of the woods every year. Uh, more or less. So, um, you know, how, this is going to deviate only a little bit and we'll only take a slice of conversation here, but like, what's the physical sure. fitness aspect of this? You got to just be in some basic shape. Are you sucking wind or like, you know, what do you see when you're bringing people out with you? Um, you know, uh, I, I think the hardest part, uh, for somebody like yourself that that's on your bucket list to do it is you're, you're going from elevation of what? Yeah, I don't you know. know. I don't to, know. Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to elevation of, you know, you're going to be anywhere between 6,500 to, and depending where you go, it could be 10,000. You know, it just depends on where you're at. But you start getting to that 7,500, 8,000, 9,000 mark, um, it's it's an acclimation process. So, uh, you know, I, I, I tell people there's ways to mitigate some of that. Oh, <laughs> I... I have a good friend that um, that uh, I've lost along the way in these years. He was just incredible. Uh, Carl Gammage was his name. And Carl was kind of like, a, you know, to talk to him, he sounded like a, a badger with a bad tooth and just that grumpy, you know. Mm -hmm. People would ask Carl, they'd be like, uh, Carl, what do I got to do to get ready? He's like, well, you get you one of them Walmart bags, poke a couple of holes in it, put it over your head, wrap some tape around it and then go run around your neighborhood. <laughs> That's great. You just might be ready. That's great. <laughs> Our elevation's just it's under 2000 feet. <laughs> it's, it's all about the air, man. And you know, if you want to be, I, I tell people, if you plan on swimming the English channel, um, you better swim a lot. And if you plan on elk hunting, you know, you better hike and walk a lot. And the more you in, include steps, the more you include stairs, the more you do hit, that's a high-intensity type of 
training where you're going hard for 15, 20 seconds, and then 10 seconds off, and then hard for 15, 20 seconds for about two minutes and two minutes only. That type of training is going to give you more benefit than than you'll know when you get out there. So there's a tip for you, Eric. Yeah, I'll go two minutes and then you know hunch over with my hands on my on my thighs, suck air because that's what it'll look like on the mountainside. Uh, Jeffrey. Uh, Evenson, Evanson just commented and said, when you think you're in good enough shape, you might be halfway there. So, uh, and then John Lang just said he's excited for tonight's show. He's, uh, Elk Bros brought me over this evening. So that's great. Thanks for bringing him over. Um, that's good advice. That's really good advice. Let's, let's dive in. Uh, All right, cool. look, so Greg and I, uh, you know, more or less officially in quotation marks have decided at least that we're going to go on an elk hunt in 2021. We have not picked the state yet, but we know it's going to be over the counter. Uh, we're looking at more than likely Colorado or Wyoming. I don't know if there's any others on your, I don't I don't know. Um, so how do we start to tackle the tactical portion of this? How do we identify where we need to put ourselves if we're doing some e-scouting so, starting there? So what, what, to- First of all, what time of what time of year are you talking about? Is this okay. a bow hunt? This a rifle? Hunt? Great question. I what we are, I mean, I'm speaking for both of us. So, Greg, interrupt me if I'm off mark. No, here. I think for our first hunt, I mean, I'm open to making it more successful. So that might mean a rifle hunt, and just with vacation time and everything, uh, it might be easier for us to go do an over the counter rifle hunt someplace. Even if it's a cow tag. So let me ask you though, Greg. Yeah. So let me ask you before you jump on that on that bandwagon. Are you a bow hunter? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm 34 for 36. I've got guys and buddies that uh, rifle hunted that you know didn't kill an elk for five, seven, eight years. Um, so as far as that one thing being more successful than the other is kind of a relative term. And I, I would kind of, you know, really get you to think about what you want your experience to do. Because again, you know, I know you guys are Wisconsin, you're used to cold weather, but you know, you go do a rifle hunt, um, late October, November, you're, you're dealing with a whole different type of element. And if I could, if I could tell you the, and maybe I'm a, I'm selling you here, but That's if okay. I could tell you the one thing that is going to hook into you, that's going to totally change your soul and it's going to addict you for the rest of your life. That's the first time that you get an elk bugling at you and responding to an elk call and coming within any kind of range where you think you might be having an opportunity it is going to rock your entire world and it's going to uh then mess you up because (laughs) you're gonna have to do it every year you see the look on his face right now joe he's got like pure happiness i think he's really visualizing like like the water boy visualizing attack he's totally doing that right now (laughs) so if, if i could you know if I was to tell you anything on on your first hunt, if you want to experience elk hunting um, and you want to experience in a way that is going to really 
be up close and personal. It's going to be something that's going to touch you, and you're going to take in the beauty of the, the time of year. You're going to take in that fall. You're going to take in all the things that are happening with it. And the silence and the and, and yet the chaos all at the same time, I can tell you there is nothing like hunting elk in September, nothing. And, you know, um, if you were to be able to get a rifle hunt that is anytime October 1st to October 10th, uh, you are then also going to hear a lot of bugling elk and that does, yes, um, it does give you an opportunity. But when you're talking about over-the-counter, you know, th that's a, a prime time and a lot of competition. And, you know, what you can do with that smoke pole, you know, as far as competition goes, um, it doesn't mean that other people that are competing with you have to necessarily get that close to it, right? So um, it's all about just being able to get the shot and finishing that animal, whereas when you start talking about in September, the skill sets are going to separate people um, from their experience and, and their final outcome. And I think the difference is, is I think a lot of people on a rifle hunt feel like I, I've gone all the way out there. I tromped around the woods for so many days. And if I didn't get an animal, well, I, I don't really feel that successful. I think you can do the same thing on a on an archery elk hunt and go through those mountains and that experience in seven days. And I don't care what the end result is as far as that tag is concerned, you're going to feel like you came out a, a winner, no matter what, just tackling that. But I, I am very biased and uh, because I, it just, I have done both. I guide both and, man, there's just, there's no comparison for me. It, you know, one is almost, uh, one is, God, I don't know how to, I don't know how to put it because I know I have so many guys that rifle hunt as well and, and they love to rifle hunt and that's cool. Um, but, uh, there's, there's no way I'd ever trade no matter what. I, I don't think I trade what I do right now. Okay, well, that just might change things then. So we're looking at <laughs> September, <laughs> maybe with a bow. Let's go down that path for a little right. bit. <laughs> well, I'm trying to find so, trying, trying to find a over the counter area too. And and no, I, no, I, I do not sell uh, I do not sell cars. Uh, so I just want to let you know that. Maybe maybe you missed your calling. <laughs> As far as that goes, too, when it comes, um, if you're talking OTC, then, you know, um, rifle hunting. So it's kind of like a, I coach track and field, right? And when I coach track and field, when I try to get kids to do an event, um, we would have hurdles, which hurdles is 100 meters over an obstacle. And then we would have the 100 meter dash. And when you look at, all the teams that line up all their contestants for the 100-meter dash, it would be, there'd be 50 to 100 kids lined up to run the 100-meter dash. And you look on the other side to run the 100-meter or the 110-meter hurdles, and there's maybe 15 kids. And the reason for that is the obstacle and the difficulty. So 
the analogy I'm trying to give you there is there's a lot more competition out there with the ease of anybody being able to grab a rifle and go out elk hunting where that does not happen. So, you know, I've been able to draw and people, I get letters from guys like, how have you been able to draw so many years? And it's because number one, I, I apply archery. Number two, um, I go into areas that are not high success rate areas and, uh, and that are ugly and that are difficult. And because I do that, it helps me to draw tags. So when you talk about OTC rifle versus OTC bow, even though archery is getting more and more popular, it's still um, always going to be that hurdle instead of that easy 100 meter dash. So that's the kind of category that you put yourself in. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it does. So we should start drawing now to start building some points up to. Well, we got to apply. Right. Right. We got to start applying, but that's correct. That's I, me, I, yeah, no, right. I want to build up that, that, that get better. Units. Correct. Yep. Yeah. But since we're yeah. considering, since we're planning on going over the counter, it would make sense to start right. applying to build up some points. So when we are doing that for a number of years, at some point there'll be some relief <laughs> to make it a little bit better and more yeah. interesting. And there's certain States that are over the counter without points. There are certain States that you can get a limited, uh, tag as in Colorado, you can get a limited tag for an area that used to be over the counter that no longer is, but it will only take, it, it might not even take a point. Uh, it's just that you have to apply for it or it might take one or two points. So, um, whereas what you need to also look at for some of these states when you're trying to decide where you want to go is, okay, what is your budget? Because next year there's some states that have had, uh, over-the-counter tags in the past or um, licenses for out-of-state that their prices have really gone up or they have extremely limited out-of-state hunters. So you still have good opportunities for over-the-counter in Colorado, of course. Um, Colorado has has been that draw for a lot of people for that reason. Um, Idaho but Idaho is really getting ready to raise their amount of their tags up. I mean, a, a big increase. I mean, a really huge increase. Wyoming has really done a lot of limiting on out-of-state uh, hunters, and I do not think that there's an over-the-counter option there. I think it's draw only for there. Montana, I believe, is in kind of the same boat same boat as Wyoming. I could be speaking out of turn, but just I would check on that, but that, if I remember correctly, that's where that is. Utah has some over-the-counter, and um, Oregon. Oregon has uh, Hmm. some over-the-counter. Your top opportunity for OTC is going to be Colorado, and if you're going to get your feet wet, uh, I would recommend that state. What, what I would do with you, my strategy would be is to put in at the different places that I really want to go and have a plan of where I'm going to go if I don't get that. So really want to go to Montana, to for- I would suffice for Colorado. That's how I feel. But I think I've heard Montana is expensive and Colorado is good success is. and good opportunity over the counter. And I'm okay with that. This is my right. first time, right? So I'm not, I'm not, it's okay. I can build up. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so uh, even if you like, if you put in for one of those limited draws in Colorado and did not draw it, 
you still have an over-the-counter option, so you can still hunt. Okay. That's the way to do it. All right. So let, let's say that you guys said, all right, we're, we're, we're going to Colorado. Let's say that, that that's what your decision is. So next up, you're kind of like, well, um, where in the heck do we go? I mean, you take a look at the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, and my Lord, it is intimidating. <laughs> you know, it's uh, like, what do we do? Well, so if you get drawn, it's going to be because of areas that you've researched and you put into. Um, I'm going to kind of give you an idea of how I go about that. Um, and if you didn't do that, then where you are able to go is going to be limited by where those OTC tags are available. So now you've already excluded a lot of those mountains that you looked at and you got real worried and scared about where in the heck do I go? And you start looking at these other places. And then from there, you start to go, all right, what the question in your mind is, um, um, I imagine is, what do I look for to decide on where to go there, right? Yes. Yep, that is absolutely correct. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to tell you a little story. <laughs> and and uh, warned us. hopefully this kind of gives you a little idea of the story. And, and if you just bear with me, it, it's a story from my childhood. And um, w- when I was a kid, um our family thing for us to have a good time was we would all six kids and our two parents load up in a van and we'd go down to the Creek to go fishing. That was kind of our family outing. And whenever we would get there, uh, our, our creeks are not like, you know, creeks here in New Mexico, big rivers, you know, kind of wide across lots of water in the Carolinas where we lived. And so when we would get out there, man, me and my brother, we'd bail out of the van right away and, and we're running to our hot spots. And our four sisters, they kind of get their stuff and they go to the most open spot where they can just have access to the water and they start fishing, right? So we're kind of fishing, me and my brother, and our hot spot, you know, we're there. It just wasn't so hot. And before we knew it, we're hearing our sisters yelling and screaming over there and they're pulling in a fish, right? (laughs) And me and my brother would kind of look at each other and we're like, yeah, you know, they're just lucky. They don't know what they're doing. And we're like, all the noise they, that those girls are making, they're going to scare every fish in the county away. Well, after about the fourth or fifth fish that they caught, and we had caught nothing, what starts to happen is, is me and my brother start to gravitate <laughs> towards where people are catching the fish. And before you know it, now, mind you, my dad, who is a great fisherman, is nowhere to be seen. I look around, and he's just back there at the at the van just kind of watching all of this take place. He's just taking it all in. So after a while, all six kids are fishing from the same spot. And, of course, we're all arguing about who got there first, and we're making all kinds of noise. We're slapping the water, all of us trying to, you know, it's the hot spot. That's where the fish are. And so we're all they're in the same place and me and my brother just knew if those girls could catch fish there because they had zero skill that with our skill set man we were just going to we were going to catch a big one anytime now so we're just going after it well it didn't take long till our sisters kind of got tired about the competition and the lack of action and arguing with over 
us about who got there first. So they just took off and they and left the fishing hole to me and my brother, which we were perfectly happy. Now we had the hole where everybody was catching the fish. Well, buddy, we hammered that hole with every bait, lure, and technique known to man. I mean, with everything we knew, we figured we just had to catch some fish. I mean, if our sisters could catch fish there, we were definitely going to be killing it. Well, it didn't take long that uh, mom gave the signal and it was time for all of us to pack up. Well, we head back to the van empty-handed, except for our poles and our bait. And I'm telling you, man, um, you know, we, we hate that walk of shame going back to the van. And we're heading back that way. And, and I kind of realized, and I told my brother, I said, well, at least dad didn't catch any fish. And I was like, well, where's Pops? We looked back to the river and spotted our dad just a little way from where me and my brother had started in our hot spot, and he's carrying a stringer of 10 fish. That sly <laughs> dog had set back, watched the whole show, and waited to see where all of us gravitated to, and then he quietly slipped in, and without a word, that sly dog nailed the fish right so let me tell you something and the reason i tell you this story is i learned some incredible lessons that day and so eric and greg i'm going to share those lessons with you and this i want you to hold on to these when you're trying to decide where to go is lesson one guys don't go to where someone has caught fish go to where you can catch fish lesson two with too much pressure, even the greatest spot in the world can become a lost cause. Three, look and understand what most people are going to do, and then you need to find the holes that are missed. And lesson four I got of that was, it doesn't matter, guys, how great of a fisherman, or in y'all's case or my case, how great of a hunter you are, or how many lures you have, if the fish are gone, the fish are gone. And lesson five, and most importantly, be the sly dog, all right? So the point I'm trying to make for you here is a lot of people, when they try to decide where they're going to hunt elk, is they immediately go look, first of all, first and foremost, they're going to go and look for success rate. Yep. I mean, that's common in, in whitetail world here in Wisconsin. People look for where were the bucks anything. tagged, right? And where, like they go to the DNR site, they look at that data. What's the county that had the biggest yield? And then people kind of work from that. It's common. So I, right. I can see how that's, that's a common approach with anything, right? It must be. Right. Exactly. You know, um, and you know, you got, we'll talk about a comparison between whitetail hunting and, and, and elk hunting. Before we get into the comparison between whitetail and elk hunting, which is brief, I want to take a moment to get into the, the shot of the week. All right. The shot of the week is brought to you by Vector Custom Shop. Please, please, please. If you haven't, go check out VectorCustomShop.com. Browse around. If you find something you like, 
and you want to buy it, enter in code where the number two, the word hunt. There's no kickback for me, just 10% savings for you and a way for them to track their orders. So if you're a listener to the show and you like what we're doing, uh, we like to support those that support us. So uh, please head on over there. Look, Vector Custom Shop builds their arrows custom per your specifications. So depending on how you hunt, what you hunt, and what you're hunting it with as far as your bow, your draw length, your draw weight, etc., they're going to build that arrow just for you, and then they're going to outfit it with an ethics insert-outsert system so it packs a punch. Now let's get into our shot of the week. We had a caller, Andrew, uh, Public Land Andrew on Instagram, call in and share his shot of the week with us, which is really synonymous with today's episode because it's his shot on elk. Let's hear what Andrew has to say. It was two years ago in the Uncompahgre National Forest in Colorado. We had been um, hunting, oh, that's my radar detector. We had been hunting um, elk for about four days and we were really starting to get discouraged. There were a lot of other hunters out there my buddy decided he was going to stay back at the truck, have a couple beers, glass of Big Valley. And I decided I was going to hike in a couple miles to a water hole we had found that morning. Um, I'm wandering aimlessly following Onyx maps, trying to get to this water hole. And I busted out a bunch of elk. And I look to my left and I see tines sticking up over the top of a bush. Um, I hunkered down, got in some sand where I was nice and quiet snuck up to him and put an arrow in him at 20 yards completely broadside ran 60 and killed over <laughs> so the five by four public land archery elk on uh, my first trip out west and it was just pure luck and adrenaline that's great all right andrew thanks again for sharing your shot of the week with us we really appreciate it let's get back into our interview with joe it, the only difference is is that that home range gets so much bigger you know, those food sources can be so many miles and water sources they can go. I mean, I know of an elk herd that travels six miles every morning just to get to water. So um, there, when people go by success rate, what they're doing is they're basically going on history. They're going on what has happened in the past, not what's going to happen now. So I can tell you this is um, I know that most people – just like me and my brother, they're going to go where they saw other people catch fish, thinking that they're going to catch fish. And that's just like how everybody else is thinking, too. So one of the things that I don't pay attention to is success rate. If, if I know that there are elk in the country, because here's the other thing you got to remember with success rate. Success rate says how many hunters out of the group that hunted that out of that group were able to harvest an animal it doesn't give you any idea of how many days each person how um, persistent they were how how their skill set were what kind of hunters there were uh, in that group you there's so many variables that you don't know I mean it could have been an area that had it could have been had a good population of elk but people just couldn't get it done because of their skill sets so to me one of the things I don't necessarily worry about is success rate so with that said what is it that i do look at i like to look at herd size or population um, per kind of like per acreage in an area if i know that there's a population or a herd in that area i know that i can take an elk okay i know that there are elk there then i can start narrowing down and doing my homework i 
I want to know what kind of bull to cow ratio there is. Like I kind of like anywhere between 25 to 30, 35 bulls per um, hundred cows uh, in that kind of ratio. I'll even take 20, but the higher the ratio, especially in September, then the higher the competition, the higher the competition, the more vocal those bulls are going to be come the rut. You're saying amongst because themselves. You're not saying not- hunter competition. And, and pressure you're talking about the, the competition of the of the bull correct absolutely competition between them for yeah. their to, to breed those cows so um you know it's just like you and me i mean if uh you know it, you you take um you hear about places where there's so much ratio of guys to girls right if there's no competition you have nothing <laughs> to worry about easy street but as soon as somebody else starts showing up man uh, things get a little bit different. You got to talk a little louder, talk a little stronger, right? And it's the same thing with these elk, man. Um, they, it, by having that larger bull to cow ratio, they're going to be sounding off. The other thing I kind of like to look at, if I can find that in in the information, is is the calves to cow ratio as well, too, because even though I'm not hunting. Uh, a cow per se or i'm not hunting calves what it does show me is if there is a high um calves to cow ratio it's showing that that herd is staying healthy that the numbers are staying good it kind of gives me an idea especially if i look back in years uh, if i look back three four five years of a good ratio it kind of gives me an idea of the strength and health of the herd and the numbers are if they're going to stay steady or if they're going to wane and fall down now, is there anything I've said so far that that I need to elaborate on? Thank you for pausing. Um, I think, it, it, <laughs> I mean, this is interesting because this is e-scouting without looking at maps. This is e-scouting looking at data. Are there any tools or Correct. resources uh, out on the web or like, you know, the app store on your smartphone that you leverage to... Uh, garner some of this information are you getting this from like your you know the department of natural resources uh where where are you getting that intel or are there any other resources that you leverage um to gain some of that insight so, so you can yeah you can purchase apps out there that uh, um base map is a great app for they have incredible tool sets on base map to help you out you can pay for um a, uh, a subscription service like Go Hunt that does all of this research ahead of time and kind of gives you an idea of some of the different areas and all of these things that I'm talking about. Uh, you pay for that, uh, uh, that subscription to be able to do that. But all the information that these apps get, you can find out on your own. Every It's aggregated every somewhere, state, right? Yeah, yeah. Every state's wildlife department has it. So, um you know, you, New Mexico Department of Game and Fish, the Division of Wildlife in Colorado. And what's, I think what's cool is if you do your homework looking for some of these stuff and then you actually call a game biologist for that state and you instead of going, you know, where are, you know, where, where, where am I going to have success? You know, where are there not going to be hunters? Where are there going to be elk? They're, you know, that's... That's kind of like asking a poker player what kind of hand you have and, you know, wanting everything, you know, fed to you. They're not really, they don't want to field those kind of calls. But 
you know, if you call and you say, you know, I'm looking at such and such area, and, and I know it has a real high cow-to-calf ratio in this area, um, have you had any winter kill or has there been problems in this area? Because I'd really like to know if there's, you know, some real rough terrain. Uh, I want something that uh, a lot of people don't look for in those areas. And when you start talking their biology to them, Man, it, it's kind of like talking about to a contractor about the foundation of a house. Nobody sees it, but they would love to talk about it. So um, that's, a, that's a way that I go about that. Well, let me ask you a challenging question. So we talk about this different approach and different way of thinking and trying to get you know, away from the hunting pressure. And there's ways to do that. Right. And, and obviously, there's a lot of folks that are going to take, you know, I do this in my creative thought process. Uh, you know, my day job and, and what I do on the side. And, you know, the way that I explain that is I always try to get more than, you know, one to two thought bubbles out. So like if I was going to design your logo, for example, I would, and you know, there's some obvious choices that come to mind an elk antler, et cetera, et cetera. But what are one to two thought bubbles beyond that? If you're doing like a kind of a mind mapping thing that are uh, going to make that a much more dense thing. So like, you know, if we can look at this data and get one to two thought bubbles away from what the obvious hunter is going to want to do to make it easy, et cetera, the, the greater population that might not be in, you know, great physical physique or what have you, that's a great approach. The, the mm-hmm. tool that you mentioned, like go hunt and, and, and base camp, um, are they taking that same thought process to deliver that to the, to the lay hunter to make that easy? Or can you still take that approach to that tool too? Does that make sense what I'm asking? No, it's absolutely because what you, so it, it, it goes back to my fishing analogy. Try to find the holes. Look at it as if if you were going, um, I want to go to the best place to be successful, and how you would do that and the things that you would look at immediately and first. So if you were to do that, um, now you can draw a circle around, well, what you decided to go to, because I guarantee you probably 70% of everybody else that looked at that trying to decide is going to do the same thing. And now back off a little bit off of that. Say, okay, if that's where they're going to go, where is the hole? And and do I have to have a 25 to uh, 30% success rate? Well, I guarantee you in archery world, if there's 20, 23% success rate, that's going to attract a lot of people. But what if I go down to 13, 14% success rate? Well, that means 13, 14 out of 100 people were successful. So there must have been um, a decent uh, amount of bulls in that area. That, that doesn't mean that there were uh, any less quality there than a place that had 23%. It just may be that, um, uh, that that wasn't that same group was not as solid as the other one that was, or maybe they didn't hunt as much, or maybe there were uh, people that, that um, didn't spend the time and persistence doing that. So I'd like to come down a little bit to where I know if I was to do that, where there's elk in the area, there's an elk herd there. And now I want to look at, well, what does the area look like and start looking at those bubbles. So, yeah, the, the, the data is there, and yes, you can. those places will help you because they're going to give you all those different levels. Man, just don't, don't go for Don't the, stop at the first buck, um, you know? Like, that, that's kind of what I was getting yeah. at is, like, the reason, the, the why I was asking that is, um, you know, I, I, 
am I being fed the same information as everybody else? In and in, in has it already gone a couple layers deep into that thought process? So then do I need to continue to go sure. further down that thought process in that environment? And by using that, am I getting that leg up? I think, I think the answer is a little bit yes. Yeah. Yeah. The answer is a little bit yes, but only to a certain point. Sure. Data, remember, it's data. Um, what I would do then is once I have kind of scoped out some areas that have that I see that they have uh, an elk herd, that they have some kind of uh, bull to cow ratio. If they've had any kind of success there in the past, I know that they're elk in that area. Now I start breaking down and I look at that area. And sometimes, Eric, some of those numbers are skewered because there might be private property in that area. Mm -hmm. And because of the private property, um, the opportunities to kill are different because those animals are not called to all the time. So they're not as call shy. And so success rates can go up. So some of those success rates sometimes in some areas can be deceiving. That's why I don't worry about that. The area that I have put in a lot of times in some of the past areas or the areas that I hunt have been anywhere from six to 13% success rate. And yet I've killed an elk almost every year. So that speaks to what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. Well, six percent, right? <laughs> what's the what's the run? Sixty percent of the time, it works every time. Um, and that that's this is a great uh, approach based on the fact that we're not going to have boots on the ground, and uh, you know we're coming around like the maybe twenty minutes or, or less, um, you know, portion of this. So. You know, if we shift gears a little bit and talk about the approach once you're there, like you had talked about, this is these elk in some cases are covering six miles to just get to water in the morning. How are you right. approaching it, boots on the ground? Like you have years of experience in the field, so you, like for someone that has zero and never set foot in this territory, wherever it's going to end up being, how do we tackle that? Yeah, so you can eliminate a lot of areas right away because what you want to do is, um, especially if you're hunting mountain country, if you're hunting mountain country, there are certain things that, that elk require. There are certain things that are their priority. It's going to be food. It's going to be water. It's going to be cover and it's going to be breeding. And in September, their number one priority is going to be breeding, but that's the bull's priority. What a lot of people forget a lot of times is that it's not really the bulls that dictate where they are. It's never the bull um, that dictates where yeah, they are, is it? I mean, that's just that's just life. That's right. Yeah. That, Sorry. Let me, let me ask you a question. Um, <laughs> I can put out there to a lot of guys. Really take a look and see who dictates what you mm-hmm. do in your life. Is it you? <laughs> well, my one buddy says this all the time. He says, I wear the pants, but my wife picks them out. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So, I mean, really, I think a lot of that simplifies it. People realize that I I don't worry as much about what the bulls' thought processes are as I do the cows. And the cows have to eat, they have to drink, and they need cover. That's their security is is still number one on their mind. Now, the bulls, the reason we're able to bring them in and that we can bring them into bow range is because their head is a little muffed up at the time but those cows man those cows they've got it going on and so they're going to need the shelter they're going to need the security they're going to need the food and at that time food is really important to them because 
in order for them to have a healthy calf, they have to eat, they have to eat, they have to eat. Like my buddy Gilbert always says is that they're slaves to their bellies. So now when you start looking and you look at areas that have, um, you know, have feed in the area, they have low bottoms or they have other type of food sources in areas that those cows are going to be drawn to and they have good shelter, good uh, um, thick north northeast facing uh ridges that that they can bed down in and be secure in on those shady sides and have a water source when you start looking at those three things and drawing circles as to where those are you start to eliminate a ton of area a ton of area man and that helps you kind of pinpoint and if i could tell you another thing is is that most people when they think about and we're we're talking Colorado. When they talk about Colorado, the first thing that they think they've got to do is drive to a trailhead and then head from that trailhead six miles, eight miles back where nobody's going to be so they can hunt elk in this pristine wilderness. And again, if that's how everybody's thinking, how many people are truly alone back there six to eight miles, man? You know? So... Uh, what I like to do instead is not go to that trailhead. I look for that country on that road driving to that trailhead that most people are driving by. I'll tell you uh, another little story. It's real quick is we're hunting in an area one year. Um, There's designated camping in one area, designated, and we're up in the upper area, all these people down in the lower area. Everybody in the first thing in the morning, it's like NASCAR coming out of that campground, heading up to the high country to go where all the elk are. And we are going down to where everybody just came from. And first morning that we're out on our hunt, we should have killed three elk. We killed two elk. I shot one at about 12, 13 yards. Um, Gilbert Ornelas shot one at a little about 60 yards. And uh, we were probably three quarters to a mile from the designated camping. Yeah, everybody drove by it because it was not the typical beautiful country that they're used to thinking that that's where elk are. Fascinating. That's you've heard that here in our state. There's people that you know will sit in the parking lot and a lot of that get eyes on what, a buck and yeah, then watch her walk past them. Pertains to whitetail hunting a lot. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean. You know, find the holes. What what I like to do is I actually, if you take a look at where trailheads are and you take a look at where most people are going to go, you can almost do um, rings or circles around areas and, and find those holes where, and that's exactly what the elk are going to do. They're very intelligent. They're, they're not going to stop breeding. They're not going to stop eating. They're not going to stop drinking, and they can't disappear off the face of the earth. So they got to go someplace and they're not going to go stay on the side of a mountain because again, those cows have to eat and they have to drink. So when you look at that, it gives you an idea. They're going to have to come down. Yeah. Yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it totally does. I'm going to pause again for you. (laughs) No, you know, and and with this pause, you know, there's a few viewers uh, from what I can tell here, uh, what's throwing me on the live feed. 
Uh, if anybody wants to call in, like the numbers on the screen is 262-757-4122. If you have a question or some input to provide, we'll be happy to take a couple calls before we, uh, you know, bring the bring in the plane for landing here. Um, so I just want to throw that out there. If anyone wants to call in, you know, now's the time. And then, you know, if, if not, that's fine. We'll keep, we'll keep chatting here. But if you have a specific question you have for Joe or some value to add, uh, you pick up your phone and, and dial in. We're, we're here for live calls too. Um, and, and, and we, you know, we're going to have to have you back on again and maybe again, because what we didn't cover is, you know, like gear, uh, someone had sent me a message because they had heard us talking about this and they said, you know, the best thing that they did was outfit uh, a, a stove tent and they said it, it was everything to them because it helped them stay warm. It was really wet and rainy and it helped dry out their, you know, their, their gear and their clothes. Um, it, right. They talk about clothes, like what layers do you need? How are you dealing with the climate change that could come from the elevation and being in the outside the elements all day long, um, pouring sweat into your fabric. There's, there's so many things to consider the meal prep side of it. There's just, there's a lot here. We've really only covered uh, one, another, another aspect. And so when we had you on for like the one one we talked about the transition from whitetail to elk and the gateway drug that is, you know, deer hunting, which here we are, <laughs> you know, going for the hard stuff. Um, and now that we're approaching it, we're trying to figure out how do we approach it. And the next phase would be how do we outfit ourselves for that? Any any last uh, quick hit tips on that side of the front, you know, um, as you try to prep, prep so, yourself? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a shameless plug in here. Man. Good. No, um, good. Please. For, uh, for elkbros.com. And um, I, when our, uh, our first base camp, uh, our training camp comes out here in July. We cover we cover everything that anybody new or even somebody that has been out um, hunting 10, 15 years that's going to pick up anything and everything for all these different levels because there's so many different layers and uh, to this onion to peel back to be able to do this. And you know it's it's really not that complicated as far as the hunting itself i mean I, I, there's there's more simplified way to going about this but for somebody from the outside coming in like you guys it's like it can be almost daunting it can almost be mind-boggling like where do i start what do i do and i'm right. going to tell you first of all if you have the gear to hunt whitetail um i would make sure like for my bow um that uh, i'm pulling 60 pounds minimum and I would use only a fixed broadhead. This this is coming from an elk coach, Joe Gillia, guide. Uh, this is what I prefer when I have guys out there. I don't like mechanicals. Uh, I am the type of person that I don't. Um, if there's an opportunity for failure, I, I go elsewhere. So um, I would go, you know, if you have that equipment, if you have that camo, you pretty much have the layers that you're ready to go. You pretty much have the gear. Uh I hunted in probably $100 worth of stuff on my back and on my body all those years for the first 16 years. So it's not like you got to go out there and be a Cabela's catalog. So don't feel like you have to, or definitely that shouldn't keep you out of the woods. So a big part of it is, is like you said, well, where do I go? How do I find elk? And one of the last things I'm going to tell you is that when, when you go out to places 
when everyone else goes for pretty, go ugly. So um, what I mean by that is, is sometimes some of the places that you don't think are holding out because it doesn't look like the typical elk hunting country is some of the best elk hunting around. So um, I kind of want to throw that out there. But our our um, Blue Collar Elk Academy, we're very excited about it. It's going to have three camps. It's got the base camp, which is that full beginning to intermediate level to even some advanced to um and that's the first camp we're trying to get out in july and then we have each level we have then our spike camp which is that intermediate a little more advanced and then we have our uh summit camp which is more advanced strategies and techniques because we we separate things out so we don't boggle people and give them too much to to think about and yet if somebody doesn't want to be down here in base camp and they feel like they're there they can just pay for that portion instead of having to go through this incredible amount of information so there's my shameless plug for that and uh and i will tell you as well if you want to there's a ton of free content on our blue collar elk hunting podcast we have 71 um uh shows out there with all of it extreme amount of content so uh check it out i mean it's all there it's all there for free and um We'd love to have you listen. We're coaches. That's what we're out to do, help people. Yeah, and you, you definitely have the heart of a teacher. I mean, I think I said that the last time we talked. Uh, <laughs> Jeffrey Evenson, if I'm saying his name correctly, he said you got to ask Joe to give a double bugle. <laughs> well, I, I think I could give a double bugle, man. Let's see what we got here. Let me see if I can grab a call. It's pretty cool. Thanks, Joe. Look at that. Is that all with one gulp of air? Yeah, my moniker, man. That's my calling card right there. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. There's just, oh, man, you are a wealth, wealth, wealth of knowledge. We are super lucky to have you on the show to talk about this stuff. Like I said at the beginning, this is a very oh, selfish episode, so we we really kind of <laughs> took it where we want to go. Greg, I have been notorious for uh, taking the words out of your mouth. What else do you have? You're a pro at asking questions, so I don't really have a whole lot. You're going to be my guiding light in the field out there. We're going to start with getting your bow dialed. That'll be number one. Mm-hmm. Tell you what, you help me with getting physically fit, and I'll help you with your bow. All right. Well, I've started running. <laughs> That's the start. I got to lay that base. I got to get that foundation down, and then I can start doing the hit stuff. I'm probably going to have to hit a hit a bike up because I got a sciatic nerve issue that if I start running, it usually doesn't fare well with me. So I might have to hit the bike and well, and that. and buddy, I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be running. Get get uh, get a pack on your back, throw 25 pounds in it, start doing some elevations up and down, hike, 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 hike. That's what you're going to be doing. You're not going to be running through the mountains. You're going to be hiking. And, right. um, you know, that that's one thing I would tell you. And don't forget about that Walmart bag there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. We got enough COVID masks floating around. I think I can throw one of those on my face. Oh. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. Holy cow. This is good. And, and Carl, Carl uh, would be proud of me, man. I, I know he's up there smiling. <laughs> nice. That's 
Yeah, that is one way to do it. You know, I, I spent some time in 29 Palms, California. I know that's not like extremely high elevation, but it was higher. And I remember uh-huh. the acclimation process about two weeks to feel like, you know, you weren't dying inside of two minutes, what would normally would have taken you 30 minutes to die from. So, you know, I've experienced what that's sure. like. It's no joke. You, you're suddenly like, yeah, no. what the hell? You know, it's it's weird. It's a weird feeling. There's two things that, uh, that, I'll, that I'll tell you is we talk about an aspirin regimen to do before you get there and, uh, and when you first get in there just to uh, um, help with um, that flow of blood. And it's uh, something that Gilbert coming from Texas does pretty religiously. The other thing that I always tell people, too, is understand that you're going to have a hump day. You're, there's going to be the first two, three days, I don't care who you are, of acclimating that there's going to be a point where you go, man, I don't think I can do this. Uh, and then your body's going to break in and you're going to be all right. And sometimes it takes two to three days and we call it the hump day. And, um, you can do it. You are going to be all right. You will get through it. Just make sure that you really stay hydrated. Uh, you know, eat, eat well, make sure you have food out there, sleep in the woods when it's time to sleep, eat when it's time to eat. And, uh, um, you can do this. It, it is the experience of a lifetime. That's cool. Thank you. And let's remind everybody where they can find you, get in touch. I know you did the shameless plug, but let's just make sure we're pointing everyone in the right direction. Yeah, it's real easy. You go to Elk Bros, that's E-L-K-B-R-O-S, as in elkbrothers.com. That's our website. On our website, you can there's links to all of our podcasts, our YouTube. We have some uh, coaching tips on that. We have a lot of stories on there free content uh for all about elk hunting um and if you're looking for some elk bros merch it's there as well man we're not as okay as the okay as guys over there but (laughs) yeah Yeah. you can find anything on elkbros.com that's cool well thank you hey everybody thanks so much for tuning in and participating in the comments uh joe make sure you and your team get a chance to visit the comments if any questions came through you want to make sure you hit those up and, and address them Uh, But we're going to end the live feed for now, and then uh, this will be produced tonight. So uh, at some point this evening, this podcast will be live before midnight and and ready for everybody to listen in full produced uh, format. So thanks for listening. Peace, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, guys. Taryn Hunt here with eHunter. Back again this week with your news articles. Um, Sadly, it was a pretty short or slow week for hunting news. We only had two articles published on our website for hunting news, but wanted to touch base with you guys and let you know what those were. The first one we had was um, about the shortage of game wardens, and this is actually not really state-specific. This is across many states um, across the country. And so um, if you read that article, you'll see that there's several states that are experiencing game warden shortages and we kind of shared that um, there is that need for more people to get into that field and for those that love the outdoors love wildlife uh, what a better what is there a better field to be in and I don't think there is so the second article that we posted um, actually is a follow-up to one that we had posted a couple weeks ago about Tennessee voting on whether they're going to allow coyote hunting at night Um, The vote actually came back as no, uh, which really surprised a lot of people. We put this on social media and everybody's like, why not? You know, I mean, as long as you do it safely, it's, you know, probably the right thing to do. It's allowed in many other states and um, other states have had great success. But 
Tennessee voted no, and so if you want to know the details on why they voted no, go ahead and check out that that article and see some of those details and, and some of the reasoning and why they didn't think this was such a good idea. So those are the two articles for last week. If you guys have any questions, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at um, my email is Taron H, that's T-E-R-R-O-N-H at ehunter.com. Remember, ehunter is E-H-U-N-T-R.com. Thanks, guys. Hey, everyone. Thanks for making it through another show. My name is Anthony Heller with Deervane, and this week's tip of the week is actually a product recommendation. If you're having issues with mosquitoes, and uh, almost all of us are in Wisconsin, my best recommendation is a Thermacell. Uh, T-H-E-R-M-A-C-E-L-L, Thermacell. And those things are phenomenal with mosquitoes, whether you're out in the woods or you're just sitting on your back patio and you're having issues uh, with, with the skeeters coming in. Uh, I use them all the time and I'm not paid by them or anything, but they especially are extremely effective early season when you're out and wandering around. You can get them at any farm farm and fleet, Ace Hardware, probably Walmart sells them, but uh, $25. If you don't have a thermocell, definitely uh, worth the investment or at least looking at it because man, they work like a charm. And uh, I'm not saying they're like 100% effective, but they're like 80 to 90% effective. And they like, I use them all the time in the summer. So that's just my tip of the week. Uh, it's product recommendation. Hope it helps because nobody likes mosquitoes and everybody always wonders why God even put them on this earth. <laughs> all right. Catch you guys later. Be sure to head on over to DeerVane.com and uh, subscribe to their podcast and their YouTube channel. Super good content. And for the record, those that don't know, I don't think there's anything I loathe more than a freaking mosquito. I call them devil bugs. I hate them. Early, It's such a conundrum because early season bow hunting, I'm equal parts more jacked up than anything to get into the woods. I'm chomping at the bit and then I forget about the reality of mosquitoes. <laughs> And it breaks down quick. It's a real paradox. So thermocells are incredible. Honestly, you know, if I'm going to do early season, I might have to get like three of those things and put them around me because I don't know that one's going to cut it in early season. But, you know, once you kind of get into the mix of the season, you know, late September, early October, it, it really does help a whole bunch there. Uh, it's a pretty great piece of technology. And uh, I've not heard anybody have any issues with like scent control or anything like that with those. So anyway, thanks everybody for tuning into the show. Please rate, review the podcast on iTunes. If you made it this far, I would appreciate that a whole bunch. And uh, last minute announcement, our Patreon members, we have 10. So the odds for winning is one in 10 and our giveaway is awesome. We're giving away swag from Venado from OKS Hunter. We're giving away, um, excuse me, half a dozen arrows from Vector Custom Shop. We're giving away some butchering from Outdoor Addiction Taxidermy. And uh, we're also going to be giving away a tethered phantom saddle system. And it, look, if you want to enter in to win, there's still time. We're also giving away, I'm sorry, three months worth of Backwoods Grind Coffee. So quite the package. And uh, we're going to announce the giveaway on 631. You have you have all the way until June 30th to register for our Patreon membership. It's $5 per month. It keeps you in the game for these giveaways that we're going to do every three months. 
And uh, upon signing up, you're going to get a koozie and a sticker. So that's neat. We'll keep your drink cold and you can throw a sticker on your bow case or your coffee mug or whatever the heck you got. So that's what that is. If you have questions about that, hit me up, uh, send me a message, however you want. You can go to where2huntapp.com. You can go to our Instagram page, you can go to our Facebook page. You can go, you know, wherever you might find us, Twitter, et cetera. Um, we'll be happy to point you in the right direction there. So thanks everybody for tuning in. Have a great day. Hunt public. Thank you.